Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens to work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Good morning. My name is Cassie Willis, and I get to be the chair of the church council. And once in a while, I get to put the pastors on the spot and ask them questions. Thanks to you. Thank you for all the questions that you submitted to help us out with this. I truly appreciate it. We know our mission statement by now. The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Let's start by putting Mike on the spot. So, Mike. Yay. Tell us about the origin of our mission statement and why are we focusing on it right now? I promised to do that, but can I make a quick announcement okay, first? Okay, I guess. There's Allie Kennedy over there. She plays in our band every week, and she was this week named Allstate Violin. So, yay, Allie. <laughs> yes. Congratulations. Congratulations. And so... Even though she was playing the bass guitar today, she can <laughs> obviously play the, the, the violin. So what is the origin of our mission statement and why are we focusing on it today? Well, I believe that every single person I've ever met wants to have some sort of compelling dream, some sort of compelling thing that, that makes them want to get, put their socks on and get going into the day. And, and I think for our church, it's, it's this mission statement and I also say this because I, I, I'm mindful of the fact that our congregation, not any of our members, but our congregation is 170 years old. And so a, a congregation that's that old has cycles, has cycles of vitality and cycles of struggle. And, 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 and in any moment, the opportunity is before you to have a great moment of cycle. And it's also uh, before you to get into some sort of a rut. And, and so when, when we started looking at this, I, I feel the important thing is that we need to state our claim, because if we don't state our claim, if we don't say it out loud, then how will we know if we're fulfilling what the church's purpose is all about? So um, this fall, um, we've really decided that we're going to focus on what we're all about and, and really do some, some teaching around that, that we're as a congregation seeking to do God's will, not just as a church, but in our lives and, and in the world that that we are going to stand up as a congregation as, and in, as individuals and stand fast against the, the downward slope and values and morality and faithfulness that the church is, is uh, uh, ex- or that the world is facing. And we're going to put our flag down and say, we claim these lives for Jesus Christ. We're not going to uh, allow that to fall. And we're going to continue to gl- gather commitment among our members so that we'll be clear about the aim of our faith. Because the aim of our faith as a congregation should be the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. So the question is, where does it come from? What's its origin? It comes from Jesus. 
It's Jesus' mission statement for your life and for my life. You find that in Matthew 22 in the Great Commandment where he says, in summary, love God, love others. He says it again in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 where he says, love the world so much that you'll seek to make disciples of people in all nations. And, of course, the actual words themselves came from the, mission, the General Conference of the United Methodist Church in 2008, which adopted that mission statement. You know, the mission of the church is the making of disciples for the transformation of the world. I believe, and why we're focusing on it so much, that this is a spiritual, spiritually vibrant time in our lives. It's the only time we have right now. So, so this is a moment in which to claim that. And so in pursuit of, of a new world order, the transformation of the world means that, you know, we had a prayer service in the sanctuary, and then we had 18 prayer groups at various people's houses. And not prayer groups, you know, that we might raise enough money to pay the church budget or build a new building, which those things we're going to do too. But these were all focused around the mission of the church. And then we sat down and, and tried to vision what that mission would be, not with a bunch of newsprint, but just what's God wanting us to do. And we set all that aside for a month and then had a day of discernment, and we adopted as our mission statement Uh, the one that you see everywhere around you right now. And so Keith and I have deeply and richly embraced that, and and we are teaching the nuts and bolts through this fall, uh, scripturally, of what that mission statement is and and what what it's all about. So that's where it came from, and that's why we're focusing on it. So we spent six weeks on it, and there's two words in the middle of it that really are a call to action. Make disciples. So how can I tell whether a person is a disciple or not? Can you tell me, Keith? Well... To be a disciple is, you know, in some ways it's something that should be pretty obvious to everybody. In other ways, it's really complicated because a lot of people think discipleship is just about, well, I go to church and I do the Christian things or whatever, but is that really what it's all about? And I think if you look at the scriptures, you see a few things that, that the Bible lays out that are key components of discipleship. Jesus talked about the first one being um, the way that disciples treat each other. And he told his disciples... The night before his crucifixion, he said, the whole world will know you're my disciples by this, that you love one another. So first and foremost, the way that Christians treat each other, the love that we have for one another is an indication of our discipleship. It isn't what makes us a disciple, but it's something that shows the world that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. So by the way that we love one another, uh, in 1 John, the the apostle writes these words. He says, if anyone says that he loves God but hates his brother, the love of God is not in him and he's a liar. So you can't be a person who says, I'm a disciple of Jesus, but I hate everybody, you know? And, and that can be tough sometimes, right, Pastor Mike? But no. Um, we, we have to be people who love each other. First and foremost, as disciples, that's, that's, that's critical to that. So that's one way you can tell. But there's more to it than just that. Because the truth is, you could look at, at just probably every religion across the world and find people who love each other in that religion, and you can't say that they're all disciples of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I'm sure Buddhists are taught to love each other. Muslims are taught to love each other and, uh, across the board. So where, what is it that's unique about Jesus Christ is, is this. A disciple of Jesus has to believe first and foremost that Jesus is the Son of God. A person can't be a disciple in Jesus Christ without believing the teaching of Jesus Christ. Because the word disciple means someone who is an adherent to the teaching of another one. And, and if you are an adherent to the teaching of Jesus, the, the most foundational, fundamental teaching of Jesus is about himself and about who he is. And Jesus, make no mistake, claimed to be God. He said, I and the Father are one. And, and he taught, and the Bible teaches clearly, that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. 
And if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, it's not just enough for you to be nice to your neighbors. You, you have to believe, first and foremost, that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. That was the, the foundational statement that Peter made to where Jesus said, on this statement, I will build my church. On you, Peter, I'll, I'll build my church on that statement. So foundational to discipleship in Jesus is belief in Jesus as the Son of God. So you've got to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. You've got to love one another. That's a, an indication that you're a disciple. But also, if you look at the way Jesus interacted with his disciples, it, it was very much a participatory thing. He didn't just call his disciples away to a, a cave or some kind of forest and say, okay, now I'm just going to teach you all this doctrine and you'll be nice to each other. No. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, now you've seen the things I do, now you must go and do them as well. So you've got to be a follower of Jesus. You've got to be someone who does the things that Jesus did. So what did Jesus do? Well, he went out and he healed people. He preached the gospel. He took care of people's needs. He ministered to the poor and the hurting. And that's exactly what he told his disciples to do when he sent them out on their mission. And that's exactly what he tells us to do on our mission as well. So you've got to believe in Jesus Christ. You've got to love one another as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. But then you've also got to have to go into the world and share that gospel transformation power and meet the needs of those around. So those are the things that I think that, that are critical to discipleship of Jesus Christ. Based on your description of discipleship, tell us, is it easy or is it hard to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? That, that was a great question, by the way, that someone put. Is it easy or is it hard? And I'm, I'm going to answer like this. It depends. Okay? <laughs> it completely depends on, on you and your interaction with that question. Now, if you look at the way Jesus interacted with his disciples... He called them to something different, didn't he? <clears throat> he went up to, to Peter and, and his brothers who were fishing, and he said, drop your nets and follow me, and they did. He went up to Matthew, the tax collector, and he said, come follow me. Leave your life and come follow me. In fact, Jesus told the people, he said, if anyone would seek to gain his life, he will lose it. But if anyone would lose his life for my sake, he will find it. So really the question is, are you ready to lose your life for the sake of the gospel? If you're not, it's going to be very difficult to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's going to be very difficult to, to turn from your sin and turn from your, your desire to control things and your desire to know everything and your desire to live your life according to your way and your standards. If you try to do it your way and come to God on your terms, you're going to find it to be very difficult to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it would probably be impossible. And I'm reminded of the, the story where... where Jesus told his disciples it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And his disciples said, that's really tough. Who can be saved? And Jesus said, well, guess what? You know, if you're going to try to do it that way, it's going to be really tough. But if you're going to come my way, understand this. With God, all things are possible. You see, with God, even the most hard-hearted sinner, the person who's been so <clears throat> entranced in their lifestyle of sin and bitterness and pain and evil... For that person, it can become incredibly easy to be a disciple. Consequently, it can be incredibly difficult for the person who's grown up in church their whole life, who grew up in Sunday school, but still thinks that following Jesus and being a disciple is all about doing the right things and being a good person. Tough for them. Because, the, because to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is not about striving and trying to be better and trying to be good enough, as we often think it might be. You know what Jesus told people like that? 
who who are always trying to be religious enough and holy enough and pure enough and good enough. Isn't that the way we live our lives a lot of times? We think that that's what God's after. Jesus looked at people just like that and he said, hey, if you're tired of all that, come to me and I will give your soul rest. He said, those of you who are are weary and, 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 and heavy laden and burdened down with religion, with trying to be a good person, whatever that means, with trying to, to do all the right stuff and avoid all the wrong stuff, if that's your life and you've been trying to, to earn your way into the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, and you're sick of all that because your soul's tired, come to me and I'll give you rest because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And what he meant was this, that when, when, when you try to earn your salvation and earn what it means to be a disciple by your own merits, it's going to wear you down. But when you recognize that Jesus has done all the earning that there ever is to be done when he went to the cross, when you recognize that your salvation is easy for you because it was hard for him, that's when you get it. That's when you recognize that all I have to do is lay my life down because Jesus gave me his life. Then it becomes incredibly easy. So the question is, how hard are you going to make it? Are you going to try to do it yourself and in your own strength and in your own power and your own righteousness? Then, yeah, it's going to be very, very difficult to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. However, if you're simply going to receive what Jesus has done for you and live in that, then there's nothing easier. Pastor Mike, making disciples. Is that something that each of us is required to do individually? Or are we supposed to do it more like a group working together? Good question. And I appreciate uh, whoever sent that in, too. Um, Keith just said the answer is it all depends, but I will say the answer to this question is yes. I mean, read the question. Is making disciples something each member is required to do by himself, or is it something we do together? Yes, it's something we do individually, and it's something we do together. Individually, I think the principles uh, that we do individually also lean into what we do as a corporate body. Because the first thing that we do it, 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 as we seek to make a person a disciple is that we choose that. We make a conscious choice that this person needs the Lord and that we know the Lord well enough that we believe the Lord can work through us in such a way that they might come to be one for Christ and they might become a disciple. But it's a conscious choice. It will never happen by by accident. I'm reminded of, and I think I showed the video in here. I'm not sure. I know I've showed it at youth events. Of Penn Jillette. You know who that is? Of Penn and Teller. If If you're into magic or been to that Vegas show. Penn Jillette is an atheist, and he proclaims his atheism. He stands fast by it, but one day someone gave him a Bible, and he talks on a video about how genuine this person was in wanting him to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. He loved the Lord so much that he wanted Penn Jillette to have the Bible, and so he gave it, gave it to him, and he encouraged him to read it. And he said, I thought about that man and how deep his faith was and how much of a disciple of Jesus it was. And then it brought me to this one question. And I don't believe in Christianity, he says, but if you're a Christian and you believe in the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament, you really have to ask yourself, how much do I hate someone to not try to win them to Christ? That's a tough question. How much do I have to hate someone 
to not win them to Christ. It's a conscious choice to try to bring someone into the kingdom of God to make them into a disciple. And we have to make ourselves available to that work by making the choice. And the second thing I think uh, we do, we're not going to all do three-point answers, I don't think, but uh, the second thing I think we, we do after we make a conscious choice is, is we, we absolutely have, need complete commitment to that. Because making a disciple, I will tell you, is a very discouraging thing. Because people won't do what I ask them to do. Have you ever had that in your life? You know, I, I mean, we, we, we will talk to people and, and they'll go up and down in their relationship with Christ. They'll, 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 they'll start feeling, hey, I, I'm, I'm getting closer to Christ. And then they'll call you and say, oh, man, I went to the strip club last night. I drank too much. Or, oh, I had a big fight with my wife or whatever like that. And we just can't get it discouraged. And, and the other thing that we can't get discouraged in is, is the fact that we will talk to people about Christ and they'll just reject it. They'll just say, you know what? I'm not into, interested. That's in some ethereal hocus pocus. I'm not into that. And remind yourself that they're not rejecting you. They've already decided to receive you. They're already listening to you. They're rejecting the message you're giving, which is the message of Christ. And don't worry, it can stand on its own. So, so make sure that when you're completely committed to the endurance race that is enabling someone to become a Christian, to become a disciple, that, that Christ's work will get, will get done. And remind yourself as you're doing that work that you don't know to have to have the answer to every question. And you don't need to call your pastor and say, oh, I'll get my pastor to answer you that. Look, if they wanted your, their pastor, they'd have called us. We're on the internet, Twitter, everything, you know. So, so, so just be confident in the fact that you're in the long haul process of, of making a disciple of Christ. And, and don't be uh, easily uh, dissuaded. And thirdly, you have to expect great results in a person's life. You know, so often I've watched people teach the Bible. I've watched people bring people into Sunday school classes or whatever. They think that getting them here, as Keith mentioned a, a moment ago, is the only result that they needed, that that's the magic. We got them in the door. That's the magic. Well, we know enough about that that that's not true. We have to expect great results. We have to be praying for great results. We have to be laying on God. It's, you know, we have to act like that preacher, you know, in, in the farm community where all the members of the church came to him after church and said, Pastor, we need to pray for rain. It's been a drought out there for three months. And he said, come on back tonight. We'll pray for rain. And they all came back. And he looked at him and said, you people aren't expecting any rain. There's not one umbrella in the congregation. See, when we pray for a person to come to Christ, we have to expect that God will make that happen. And that's our personal responsibility. And our corporate responsibility actually as a congregation is the same. <clears throat> we have to insist that our congregation too is genuine. We have to insist the, rec the, the relationships and we have to work towards that as congregational members that our relationships here are genuine. <clears throat> I've said it a hundred times if I've said it once. People don't come here for friendly. They can go to Chuck E. Cheese or Walmart for friendly. They come here for friends and for accountability. They come here for help on the journey of life. And that's what authentic and genuine relationships can come, can, can get. So you need to know, you know, who's in the pews with you. You need to extend yourself, not only just when we're shaking hands ahead of time, but really get to find out who's there and, and, and seek to help build them up in, in Christ. And then, of course, as, as we're working on right now at this Healthy Church Initiative, uh, more of which we might have time to get to in a minute, um, we're building the discipleship pathway so that people can know where to come in and start and, and grow their, their faith. We'll, we'll, we'll talk a lot more about that, and you'll see a lot more about that as it comes. Keith, it's your turn. 
It's easy to talk about the mission statement here. It's easy to live the mission statement within these doors. But when we leave these doors and we have to go to a workplace that may have restrictions when it comes to talking about religion, how do we handle that? How do we implement our mission when we're not here? Well, I, I think that, you know, this is one of those things where you look at and say, I'm probably not going to be able to walk into my job and say, all right, everyone gather around. Let me tell you about Jesus. I mean, what would your job look like tomorrow if you did that? Be just you know? like my job is now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that, that was that <laughs> uh, The best way, I think the best way to handle that is to form relationships with people. You know, people don't like to be sold anything, and people don't like to be, you know, um, I don't know, feel like they're being manipulated or used in any way. So I think just be someone's friend. Get to know them personally. Don't don't have an agenda. Just be their friend and develop a relationship. And then who you are as a, as a gospel-filled person is going to come out. I, I worked with this guy one time, and he told me, he said, whatever you're full of is what's going to bump out, or is what's going to spill out when you're bumped. You know? <laughs> so if you're filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ and at work, anybody ever get bumped at work? You know, life just kind of hit you. What spills out of you? You know, is it the gospel? Is it our mission? Or is it, you know, frustration and discouragement? Live your life as, as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Form relationships with people and, and model that for others. And I think that you won't have any trouble at all finding opportunities to share Christ. But you won't have to violate any work policies or anything like that. Or, you know, wear a Jesus t-shirt or something like that. Just be, be a child of God. And, and pray and ask God to give you opportunities. Because I, I found that to be true, too. When you, when you pray, say, God, this is your day. Use me in any opportunity that you see fit. As I go into my day, bring me someone that I can share with somehow. Use me, God. I'm yours today. Absolutely. Watch what happens. It'll be awesome. Absolutely. Mike, what do you tell a Christian who has witnessed to others and prayed for them but had no success? You know, we have a lot of this in our congregation and that's really good because that means we're efforting. And this question is really important because it's, it's a love-based question. I do love someone so much that I want to tell them about Jesus and they're not hearing what I would say. So, so I would start by saying this. Listen to the words of Churchill as he faced down you know, Germany in World War II. He said, never, 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 never give up. The battle is the Lord's. We can lead a person to the blessing, but that doesn't need, mean that they'll necessarily receive it. Here, here's what it says in the, in the New Testament. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, and I think this is a great piece of encouragement. You see, he says, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though a good per- for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners. He died for us. See, God doesn't die for the, unright- for the righteous. He dies for all of us. So, so when we understand that the people that we love or that we care about or that we work with, like, like uh, Pastor Keith was talking about a moment ago, are not receiving what, we, what we're offering, just remind yourself that what we're offering is God and the battle, the battle is His and we need to pray for that pivotal circumstance. Maybe when something bumps into them at work. Maybe when something else happens. But, but I will remind you, you are not alone in feeling frustrated. When I was in Columbia, South Carolina in 1985, I was at the Billy Graham School of Evangelism. The great guy himself was standing in front and they asked him, what one word defines your ministry, describes your ministry? And the word he used was failure. 
because I've been preaching the gospel for 50 years to millions of people and the world has not completely come to Christ. So you see our foremothers and forefathers in the faith, Jacob Albright, Martin Bohm, John Charles Wesley, George Whitfield, all the rest, the Lord Jesus himself and, and Billy Graham knows that, that it is frustrating because it's difficult because we can't make people drink the water of blessing that we put before them. But always remember two things. One, God does not ask you to do anything easy. Never, ever, ever does he ask you to do anything easy. And secondly, you're not alone. Every single one of us in this congregation this morning has at least one person that we desire so much to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and we feel like we're not making any headway. So pray for each other and be encouraging to each other because we simply know that to be true. You keep talking about us becoming a healthier church. We desire to be a healthy church. I do. But if we desire to be that kind of church, don't we want to help those who have wandered away from our church? Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I, I appreciate this question. It's a hard question. And a lot of pastors don't want to ask this question, answer this question in real time live. Um, and I want to start with this. First, there's going to be a quick distinction I'm going to give between the lost and the left. The lost are those people who have never met Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They're lost in the world. They have nowhere to go. They don't know the Lord. The left or the wandered away are those who have come to be members of a church, come to understand the blessings and the fulfillment that a community of Christ gives them, and then for one reason or another, they step away or step aside from that. And I will say that people that phrase would be that leave the church is one of the things that is greatly disappointing and heartbreaking for pastors like Keith and myself. That, that concept is what often keeps us up at night, what drives us to our knees to pray for those that have wandered, as the question says, away. Because at some level, we've been entrusted to be their spiritual shepherd. And I want to be clear about this. That over three decades of ministry, I've made a few observations about this because it is so troubling. Many are the reasons that people claim when they leave a church. Some people have a theological disagreement. Some people see a change coming and they don't want to be involved in that change. Some have philosophical differences in the way ministries should, should be articulated. Some just don't like the pastors or, or the leaders. Some have, you know, said something to one of the leaders of the church, and this happens periodically, where someone will say something out of anger or frustration or difficulty, and they don't feel like they can, they can rein that back in, so they, they leave from the church as well. And, and some will even say that they've been kicked out of the church. And I, I will say this in full disclosure. I, I've been a pastor for 30 years, and I have never disqualified anyone from a church. I have never said, you cannot be in this church any longer. There have been times usually for the vitality and the vibrancy of a program or safety, you know, once or twice, where I've said to a person, you can't lead this ministry anymore. Hopefully um, with a little bit more dynamic than I just did. So that causes people to be hurt. And there's a bevy of other reasons that, that people might take to, to leave the, the, the church. And it's always emotional and painful for the people that, that leave. Because very few will come and announced twice, twice in my time here, people have come to me and said, I'm leaving the church. Two times in ten and a half years. 
and, they've, and then it's clear, and then we know. But more times than, than others, you know, congregational leaders, pastors, you know, our staff person are left to grapple with, um, with so, whether someone's left, whether they're just gone for the winter, whether they're on traveling basketball teams or something like that with, with their ki- kids or some sort of a long va- vacation. And generally, when the realization has been made, because remember, we sit here. Lights are in our eyes. We can't see all your heads. And unless we talk to you personally or are looking for you because you've got something that we've been praying for in, in our lives, we may not actually know that you're here, particularly if you don't sign in on those cool fellowship registers. And, and so it might take months before, you know, we're a big group. We have 2,200 souls that are in our care. And so it may take months before we recognize that someone has, has slipped away. And of course, by then, if you're the person that's left, that's festering in your heart and you're broken and you're hurting and you're starting to feel that nobody gives a darn about you. And, and it's hard then. So I've read a lot about how to bring people back that have wandered away from the church. And, and sometimes we've had some cavalier answers to that, but I, I really want you to hear this clearly because it really involves you. I believe the work is in the congregation's hands to care for and draw a congregation back. So, so here's what I think are the five components of bringing a person that's walked away from the church, that's wandered away. Because remember, nobody joins the church. I've never held a gun to anybody and said, join the church. They've done that by their own volition. So, so here's what I suggest. When you know of someone that's, that's walked away, congregational members who are in relationship with a person must notice they're gone. Now, that means you're going to have to get to know each other because, you know, sometimes people will call me and say, hey, I haven't seen that guy that sat beside me. And unless they're the one guy in our church that wears a patch and has a peg leg, I can't necessarily always know where you were sitting or identify who's missing. Okay? We don't really have a guy like that. But <laughs> we did, but he left. He left, yeah. <laughs> so he didn't have a pirate ministry. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but you have to notice first. And secondly then I think the congregational member, and that's the collective you, needs to extend mercy and encouragement to the person that's wandered away. You need to extend mercy and encouragement and say, come on back. It's not perfect because it never was because there's us in it. But come on back because you're beloved and, and you're missed. And third, congregational members, when you run into someone that's left, we have to care enough about their relationship with Jesus Christ to even take a moment in awkward places like Fairway or Handy Mart and say, I'll pray for you. I pray that you'll come back. I understand your hurt. I understand your angst. That's a little bit outside of a lot of us, isn't it? But I'll tell you what, if someone did that for you or you did, them, did that from them, they'll never forget. They'll never forget. And they'll think, man, if my congregation cares enough to pray over me or over the gas pump at Casey's, I'm thinking I might want to come back. And, and fourth, and this is a hard one. I mean, if we really care, congregational members have to have enough dialogue with the person to arrange a meeting with them, with the person that's hurt, and with one of the church leaders so that reconciliation and healing can begin and we can get through it. And, and then if necessary, and nobody wants to hear this, but if it's necessary... We might have to work on the placement if they're so broken, so dissolved from being part of our congregation 
we might have to work on, on, on a placement in a new congregation so that they don't lose the church and the relationship with Jesus Christ. They just lose this church and its relationship with us. And you said something at one of the other services. Well, you say it. You do it better than I do about postcards and well, stuff. Yeah, I think here's the, here's the temptation that a lot of people have with this. And, and we've heard a lot of things like this. Well, can't we just like keep a track of attendance and send a postcard automatically out to somebody if they've missed a certain number of weeks? Answer, no. Because th- th- it wouldn't work. The answer to, to this kind of issue is not a program answer. It's not something that we can automatically generate or do from a technical standpoint that's going to matter because everybody's different. Think about your family. If you had a, a, an estranged family member wander away from your family, you, would, you wouldn't handle every member of your family the same way. Everybody's different. So there, there's not a one-size-fits-all answer to that question because a postcard for some might be exactly what they need. For another person, it would be offensive. For another, I mean, so, so the, the true answer is this. It has to be done organically and relationally. It has to be done based on, hey, where have you been? I noticed I haven't seen you around. Is there anything going on? You know, mm-hmm. And that can't always come from us. Like Mike's saying, it, it comes from the natural relationships that take place in the congregation because this is, this is a family. So, so if, you're, if we're tempted to try to solve that issue with some sort of program, I'm telling you right now, it's just, it's just a disaster waiting to happen because that's not the answer. The answer is, is relationship and love and, and personal interaction. And, and sometimes some sort of pivotal circumstance. Yeah, absolutely. Before we close this out, I would like you to join me if you wouldn't mind, if you would. We don't do this very often, but I'd sure like to thank Pastor Mike and Pastor Keith for helping us build this mission and put our church together and help us join into this Healthy Church Initiative together because we are going to build a healthier church together. If you wouldn't mind, join me. I know... I apologize. I know there were three of you whose questions didn't get answered just because uh, we need to be kind to our Sunday school teachers and let them uh, free your children back to you. So let's take a minute in prayer before we go to our offering. Uh, Lord our God, we thank you for our church. We love it so dearly. We ask, oh God, that you might uh, assist us and guide us and strengthen us in making it stronger so that this truly might be a place where disciples are made for the transformation of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a look at this. I'm Don Searle, recently transplanted from Marshalltown to Marion to be beside a, son, a daughter, Joan, and her husband, Larry. Thankfully, I'm but a few steps from this church, this wonderful church. I especially appreciate the message that the talented pastors give us every Sunday morning. They are very relevant to our lives today. I also feel that we should support our church through tithing, and I have done this for many years in Marshalltown. In this electronic age, I have the bank send my tithe to the church on the first of every month. That way I never forget, and um, I highly recommend it.